Okay, I'm trying to record this. Oh, it is recording. I can't believe this. I, I, I have no sound man, no sound skills whatsoever. And it somehow is working. Can't believe that. You even pulled us out of the fire before we even got started with your skill of video. <laughs> no, and, and, and Rob. So we get, we're going to have people from Guatemala, Oregon, Tulsa. Mm -hmm. There's Amanda Emi. Hey, Amanda. Um, I don't know if Grady's here, but Grady was signed up from Iraq. So I don't know if you've ever uh, worked with someone with emotional health in Iraq before. But Iraq. Wow. Um, hey, Paul Durham. Hey, Paul. It has been a while. Uh, Paul, is Amy with you? Yes, and Amy. Oh, Amy. Shannon's back here, Amy. And the kids. Yeah, yeah it's going to be fun. I didn't know, I know Paul and Amy were conduits. Hey, no pressure, but I'm told we're competing with the NFL draft uh, tonight for, for viewers. But Oh, wow. Okay. Well, thanks, Darren. You're uh, your ball of encouragement. <laughs> Captain Greendown, thank you. Yeah, I didn't really think that through, did I? Okay. Oh, no. Oops, I'm trying to swipe And a Ramsey webinar. Mo just texted me. So we're, we're competing with Dave Ramsey, too. Oh, wow. But Nice work, Tyler. <laughs> hey, Shelty's on here. Oh, now we can make fun of Shelty. He's on. Oh, yes. Shelty, it's your turn next week, buddy. Um, what's that? He's on the Facebook Live. Oh, Schulte. You should be able to go to my Facebook page and find it there. Well, it's 7.02, and I know people are still, uh, oh, the live <laughs> video has ended, so apparently I've, I've screwed up the live on Facebook. So um, for those that are here right now, I know there's a few more coming on, but I want to respect everybody's time and keep this to an hour. Um, as we have been um, spending time apart from each other, we're still having these conversations and we keep getting sort of the same theme um, from everybody, which is, gosh, I just, I'm, what is this we're feeling? Mo was telling me about a, uh, a conversation that he was having with a couple of his friends where they were just, everybody just exhaled so uh, deeply. So the point of tonight is, um, I mean, Phil is kind of like a Jedi when it comes to uh, this kind of thing. So we kind of need uh, just somebody to, I don't know, Phil, like, I don't want to have a whole lot of pressure on you at all, especially if you're a camera, but, you know, our church family, one of the gifts that I wanted to give them is, you know, as heavy as this season has been for me, the work that I did with you uh, and Schulte over the years, uh, has actually given me some equipment. It's still been a heavy season, but I've had some tools that I've, I've, I've had to deal with, had yeah. to deal with this. Um, but before we jump into that, Phil, like, could you just, for those that maybe don't know, I mean, I put the bio and stuff in the, in the Facebook group for our church, but could you tell everybody just a little bit about who you are and, and your, your history and your work? Yes. Um, well, I've been, in the field, I guess you would say, almost 30 years, which is, with my youthful looks, it's hard to believe. But 
you know, not, not, I sat across my first person. I'm stealing this from Larry Crabb. He, he tells the story. I felt the same way. 1991, I sat across from a person for the first time and he started talking. And my thought was, man, th this guy needs professional help. And it occurred to me, oh, that's me. So it's been a long time ago, but um, I um, have been for the uh, 15 years of my life in the pastorate. I was an associate pastor and pastor of counseling and I was a lead pastor for several years in our church. It was going to be in an interim manner, but it was 37 months. So that's not very interim-ish, uh, you know, and in that time, of course, uh, dealing with, with people and the body and lots of feelings and troubles and that kind of thing. And so about 15 years ago, we were relocated here and I uh, partnered with Chip Dodd to um, help run the Center for Professional Excellence, a treatment center for professional men. And uh, we, kind of operate on the premise of we know that our guys uh, are really smart and they're really tough and they're really good. So they have lots of intellect and uh, self-will um, and, and morality. But what was ailing them was in the territory of attachment, relationship, story, feelings, connection. Uh, and that the, the, these men who were very high functioning, had tons of horsepower in all kinds of areas. Uh, we're really lacking in the emotional relational area. And so we, we've gone to work for a lot, lot of years, working with a lot of guys, including pastors. Including me. <laughs> including Darren, uh, you know, who just really, really good guys who want to serve the Lord and want to do well, want to have impact and did not have a language in them to do it with. And uh, so I've dedicated the last many years of my life walking with men and their families through kind of navigating those waters. And now I'm, uh, with Sage Hill, one of the owners of the Murfreesboro location, and uh, Sage Hill actually grew out of CPE as a kind of an outpatient extension of the work we were doing there. And so we're kind of continuing the work rather than coming and checking the treatment for, uh, for an intensive like you did for, mm -hmm. you know, three months. There's a, a way to go and get the help you need on, on an outpatient a once a week or so basis. So I'm really glad, fortunate to have been able to have a hand in the church in the private sector and in the treatment sector, all three. So I'm, I'm, and I really use the word blessed on purpose. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the things I love uh, about you and, and, and Schulte as well. I mean, you guys, you know, have been pastors. I mean, you still serve as an elder in, in the church. And so uh, for me, it was helpful just because you guys had not only language around what we were dealing with, but you've got experience with where it was being dealt with that. And it was one of the things that I thought as I was thinking for our church family, like what would be the gift that we could give them? And honestly, someone with a pastoral shepherd background kind of help them walk through some of this. Um, and I you know you were the perfect guy for that. Uh, you've, for those that don't know, uh, Phil has spent some time with our staff, uh, doing offsites, doing time with our, with our missionaries in, during our mission summit. And it's been a huge blessing for that. And, as we're heading into this, like this week, things are changing, shifting, the uncertainty's here, but we're still kind of in the uncertain. And so I was hoping that we could get some tools for this. Like what are the tools in my, if I was gonna build a deck, I'm gonna need a hammer, I'm gonna need a saw, I'm gonna, you know, a drill to, to you know, navigate these waters, what would, what would we need? And, and the first one that I, thought because it's the tool that you guys gave me was feelings right yeah. like which is hilarious that that is an actual tool 
Uh, I remember sitting in the room the first time and then that the little feelings chart on the floor and going, you say like, well, how do you feel? I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I, you know, I'd always thought of feelings were those things that you're supposed to overcome or right. defeat or, you know, um, so it was about, a, you know, it's probably why it was a good that I spent a week there because it took about a week uh, to, to, to navigate through that. But, but the voice of the heart, like that, like what is that as a tool for us? And that isn't just for a pandemic. That's like for any day of the week, any, any time. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, that's a, that's a deep end of the pool, but it's the necessary one. You know, it, we, we, unfortunately, for many years in the church, uh, did exactly what you're talking about. We viewed feelings as that's something I got to get over in order to get to the real stuff. And we really have missed a huge chunk of how we're made, how God has made us. And uh, just a simple illustration, if you look at the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, we have two chapters in the beginning of that book that describe a world where there's no pain and no anguish and no sadness and no you know, anything like that. And at the end, we, depending on your eschatology, we have one or two chapters at the end. <laughs> you know where that happens but all those pages in between man that that's just heartache and struggle and war and strife and lust and hatred and so god has graced us with a language internally for me to talk to my friend darren uh from a heart level about my experience living in a place like this because this, this this place is too big and too ugly and too mean in so many ways uh, to let it just be my preferences, because if I'm not, if I don't have a, a feelings EQ, like IQ, if I don't have a feelings EQ, I'm relegated to having to figure out how to manage life rather than being able to live in it. Hmm. I mean, and honest to goodness, like that was like, uh, I, I can think of a handful of moments over the, my lifetime where something happened where it was like, a, a, it like shifted the earth under my feet and learning that like the like how I felt about something wasn't what was wrong with me but it was what was right was like mind-blowing to me yes and I think that like well maybe I should just ask you like what when you see the protests going on when you see maybe um like think of like a soccer mom or of course we have all kinds of moms and dads whatever like in the in the parking lot of a grocery store and that feeling of fear and like what are the feelings that you think are, are really driving us around what's happening in our country right now i think there are three the, the third one's going to be tricky to talk about you'll you'll know and people familiar with it will know it's tricky but i think the first one is obviously is fear and you know, God's given us this, this heart inside of us to say, you know what, you do live in a dangerous world and you need a feeling called fear to recognize when danger's nearby. Like mm -hmm. we all parents intuitively desire our children to have a fear of wild animals, traffic, strangers. I mean, you know, we want our children to experience healthy fear so they can be wise. And so, you know, I've heard Chip and others say that, you know, millions of times, like, who in the world wants to fly with a fearless pilot? Right. I, I want that pilot to check at the engine, check the brakes, check the fuel. Like, I don't want him to be fearless. You know, the old saying, there are old pilots and bold pilots, but there are no old, bold pilots. You know, <laughs> fearless. I've never heard that before. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, you, you, we need fear for us to be able to pay attention to the world we're living in to stay safe and to make wise choices. So obviously we're afraid because there's a, there's a thing that we, we can't even see it. We have pictures of it, 
but you can't see a coronavirus molecule. This tiny little thing has got us completely upside down. And so it's scary to know that we're that really that vulnerable. I saw a tweet by Lecrae a couple of weeks ago. He said, this is only lifted the veil of how vulnerable we've always been. Hmm. Like we, we live in a very scary place. And so fear, obviously is the first one. And we could talk about, you know, kind of the impairments of that, like where fear gets off the rails is in a condition called anxiety. Uh, and you know, anxiety is where I, I, I attempt to take my fear into my own hands and manage it. So that's my body takes over, my heart rate goes up, my temperature goes up, my palms sweat. Sometimes I break out in hives or flush, and my body's saying, you know, feel Darren, feel fear, cry out for help. The fear, the feeling of fear is given to us, so we will cry out. Mm. The children of our father to our father and to other people. When we don't do that, won't do it. Uh, we end up in high levels of anxiety and that's going, that's, that's gripping the nation. Just think about people, you know, conventional wisdom says, Hey, limit your intake of news. Well, they're not saying that mental health experts are not saying that because they think you're going to get information overload. They're saying that because your anxiety is going to go out the roof because you're going to hear 10 reports, 10 different ways. Most of which say we're all dead within 11 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, my anxiety takes over. I obsess over things. I can't sleep about them. That's anxiety working. So fear is huge. Uh, and, and then, um, you know, sadness. Like, it's really sad, obviously, to hear about people dying from this, from this thing, people losing their jobs. People don't have graduations, proms, things that, you know, hope, things that are, that are really important, to, depending on where you are in your your development, like for high school and college kids that can't do their graduations, that's really, really sad. And, and it's sad, I can't go hiking when I want to, those kinds of things. So sadness is a huge thing too, that the, uh, what has happened to the world, we have grief around its loss. I guess we could talk about that a little later if you wanna unpack it yeah. more. You know, the third one is anger, and that's the one that can become very confusing. You know, we're also made to experience healthy anger. Like the, we're, we're, the world's not designed by God's original design, you know, to have viruses that kill people. So I feel angry when, when something's going on that is literally killing people and has literally turned the world upside down. Yeah. So anger can be this thing that motivates us to action. Motiv- the people that are sewing masks, people that are giving out food, people that are tending to their neighbors, those people are acting in godly passion. Mm. Thought of his anger. Yeah, and so to that end, like, so this is a tool for us to, like, so even like in my prayer journal right now, like I've been uh, every day, like, okay, what am I feeling right now around this or, you know, which has been extremely helpful, uh, even to see how it changes every day. Um, but it's also helpful because as a tool, if we let it take us to the healthy side, like with anger, we, it takes us to action to, to do something. And you know, conduit is full of a lot of really angry people, apparently, because we're very active in, uh, in, in the world. Yeah. Anger is a feeling that says I care. And when I care, I get up sometimes literally, but I get up and go to work on doing something about what the anger is about, whether it changes or not, I don't know, but I know I have to go do something with this Hmm. anger. And for the rest of this, I mean, for those that are on right now, we'll drop a link in, but uh, if you just Google uh, voice of the heart feelings chart, like there's actually the, those charts are pretty readily available online. 
most of the people at Conduit have already read Voice of the Heart, but if you have not read Voice of the Heart, I highly recommend it. It gives you the language that we're talking about right now. Um, and again, the idea that, uh, like that fear was not something to be overcome, that is not to be ignored, that one of the things that we've noticed a lot of is that um, in the husbands and wives right now, we're seeing a pattern, which is uh, the wife, and this is generally speaking, of course, is pretty vocal about how she's feeling and the fear and the anxiety. And the husband is like, no, I'm fine. We're all good. Which yeah. feels to me a little bit like the husband is just stuffing whatever he's feeling. Yeah. And, and the wife is just trying to grab hold of whatever it is she's feeling. Maybe doesn't have language around it. Like how would you, in those feelings in a marriage situation right now, what would you, how would you advise us to use those tools? Yeah, that is a huge deal. You know, this gets into a, a conversation about the difference between um, accuracy and truth. Um, you know, so for instance, in your example, and you know, as you said, it goes both ways, but in your example, uh, the wife is, you know, oh my goodness, uh, get the kids in, in, get the kids in a, in a dresser drawer to let them come out till this is over. And, you know, really, really, just really scared and vocalizing her fear and her anxiety. And the husband, uh, says, you know, it's not that big a deal. It's only affecting a certain amount of population. Statistically speaking, it's only about 1% and all the, the facts and figures. Well, the husband can, in this case, can be right. He can give accurate data. Uh, but what he's not paying attention to in this example is, first of all, what is his wife feeling? She's afraid. And so he can be accurate and say, it's not really statistically killing that many people, or he huh. can join her emotionally. Uh, and have, this sounds like weird, have passion for her, have anger toward her, passion, like desire to be with her, which means willingness to be in pain with her. Because a lot of times when people are going, ah, no, nah, man, we're good, it's not that big a deal. What they're doing is saying, I'm not getting close to my own fear. I'm not going to deal with my own stuff either. And so for that husband in that scenario to come to her and engage her emotionally and say, hey, let's talk about how scary this is, hmm. despite the stats, despite how few people relatively are dying, you're scared. And I know this is a big deal too. So let's, let's talk about this thing with each other. So, you know, you, accuracy and truth aren't necessarily the same. That's really, really good. Like, and like almost I mean, as many times that I've spent with you guys, I feel like I've kind of learned what I needed to learn. And now you, you just literally just taught me something that I had not, because that's my default is statistically speaking, this is absolutely insane. Like, um, which is clearly not, you know, not doing any good, uh, to, to have, because it's like, anyway, but anyway, thank you for that. So that's good. So to get more of that, uh, voice of the heart, but that's at least a, a tool that you can take with you. And, and again, whether you're in a pandemic or not, like having awareness of and language around those is a huge thing. But the second tool is safe relationships. Like not just, um, we had a, a, one of the, a friend of mine that you know, had communicated something to a group and thought that it was a safe place to say it and it uh, turned out it wasn't a very safe place to say it. And of course the reaction to that is why well, I can never be safe with anybody. I can never say this to anybody. But that said, we're gonna be walking into uh, maybe in a couple of weeks inside of small groups and there's gonna be political divides. There's gonna be, why are you wearing a mask? Why are you not wearing a mask? There's, those relationships are coming at us, mm -hmm. but what about like the relationships that we need 
uh, in our day-to-day life, again, in a pandemic or not in a pandemic, yeah. what does that look like? Darren, you, you I think, very intuitively <clears throat> decided to talk about feelings first because what, here's what happens. It's really a beautiful handoff. We're dealing with our feelings in a healthy way, in a godly, biblical way, like we've been talking about. It automatically opens us up to our our recognition of how needy we are. Like, you know, feelings create vulnerability. When I'm vulnerable, I'm more aware of what I need than when I'm not vulnerable. The lady in your picture, the lady who's really afraid, she's more aware of her vulnerability and neediness than the husband going, oh, man, it's 0.1%. We're good. Uh, You know, so feelings done well or handle well open us up to needs. And so what you're describing, you, you've already said the word. People are searching for a safe place. And the feeling of safety, all safety means is, can I be with people with whom I can struggle openly and they will be looking out for my emotional welfare? Like, you know, when I sit in a small group and my wife and I lead a small group at our church too and with some co-leaders and you know, we're, we're doing uh, Zoom on ours too, and the time's coming pretty quick. We're going to sit in the same room and coming from a lot of different angles in life and all kinds of other politically and otherwise. And it's like, what, what do we need to do when we get together again? We need to allow ourselves to experience how scary it is to let everybody else in the room have their individual experience of what's going on. You wear a mask, you don't wear a mask, you think it's a big deal, you don't think it's a big deal, you lost someone to the disease, or you think it's just a bunch of hooey, whichever it is. Uh, you know, if it's scary, fear, it's scary to sit in a room of people and just let everyone be where they are with wherever they are. Wow. And so, you know, like, I remember John Eldridge quoted something, he, he said his best friend, Brett Curtis, said to him one time, I said, John, why don't you just give people who you truly are and let them deal with it? <laughs> and what was, was me? What meaning being a jerk? He was like, "Hey, just tell the truth and sit in it, and let people have the let 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 God be as original with them as He has been with you." Hmm. You know, and so it's like we have original, unique experiences with a thing like COVID, and like, can I sit in my small group a few Sundays from now? We meet on Sunday afternoons, and can I allow those individual group members to talk about their experience, their unique experience in this and have the emotional bandwidth to deal with how scary it is to not have to weigh in and tell them how wrong they are. That's really good. Because that's really hard. Oh, especially if I think they're wrong. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yes. And that's back to data. Like, you know, no, no, no. I mean, come on, look at that. Look at that. Then those masks are useless. You don't need those or, or vice versa. We're not wearing a mask. You know, so it just comes down to, and, and, and again, it's back to feelings. Can I handle my fear? Someone says something that my data does not match. Can I deal with how scary it is to allow them to have their experience? And my job is to look out for their emotional welfare. Mm. Whether I agree with their data or not, well, am I going to be on their side yeah. as a member of their, of their small group and member of the same local body that they're a part of in this case and allow myself to be, have fear about what they believe about this, but sit with them anyway. Yeah, that is going to be, uh, gosh, I mean, especially right now. Um, and by the way, you know, we've had uh, several of our small groups have gone through the voice of the heart study that uh, if you don't know this that are listening, that uh, Phil co-wrote with Schulte. 
So we have some groups that have already gone through that. So it's kind of nice to know that they actually maybe have some language, but of course it probably might not be a bad time to double down on that as well. Um, when you think about the division itself, uh, as far as in small groups, I mean, uh, what's the advice that you give? I mean, I guess you've already given it, right? Which is let everybody sit in it. Um, as far as church-wide, like with what you guys are, I mean, you're, you're I, I guess fellowship, when you say fellowship Bible church in, in Murfreesboro, like how are you guys anticipating the division that could be in a church, the political divisions, the whatever divisions, like how are you guys envisioning that and what that could look like? Uh, how do you skate to the puck on that? Yeah. Well, we, I'm, I'm helping form that some on the elder team and other territories. Um, They'll go back, Darren, this is a general statement about your specific question, but there, there are three things that human beings just almost cannot, cannot tolerate at all. It's being abandoned, being rejected, or being humiliated. Hmm. And so we want to do some equipment with our people to say, look, um, as you're sitting with other people, be sure you're remaining present with them uh, emotionally for sure. And, uh, you know, rejection says, nah, I can't, I can't be with you if that's what you're going to do. And think about it. And then humiliation, things like, it, seem, it seems small, but things like sarcasm, being passive aggressive, inside jokes, eye rolls. I mean, that, that's, those are very powerful signals of, uh, you know, you're, you're dumb, you're whatever. So we're, we're really beginning to literally to equip our people to say, this is how you sit together when everybody's afraid, you know, during the week, when someone is oh. treatment, uh, we spend time talking to them, working with them about how to re-enter. And, uh, you know, we're going to be all, we're going to be doing a re-entry with one another, being in the same room. And the big feeling that comes across everyone when they're re-entering is fear. When I come back off a week of vacation, I haven't seen the guys at CPE for a week. I feel fear walking back in the room. I just saw them seven days earlier, but I'm re-entering. I don't know what their life has been like exactly. Don't know what all they've done. Don't know what all has come up. And so it's the same effect. So we're equipping folks at Sage Hill as well uh, to say, you know, it's okay when you get together, uh, be sure you're talking about what it's like to be together again. Mm. Be sure you tell the whole story. Like most people are going to want to say, oh, I'm just so glad to see all of you, which will probably be true. So glad we're back together again. And then allow those leaders to say, well, what's scary about it? Like, are there other concerns? And, you know, and it, all it's doing is pointing to the elephants in the room. Yeah. Like, are you afraid what people will say? And let's talk about how we're going to talk about things since we're back together. Supporting one another. Let's give each other room to have their own individual experience in this. And that intuitively takes care or doesn't take care of, but addresses yeah. to be rejected or abandoned or humiliated for how I experience this thing. That's really, really good, Phil. I mean, obviously that wasn't even something we talked about talking about, but uh, it's something that I, I uh, am sensing right now. And that, because you can see it online and social media. So all I can think is, man, when we all get in a room together, this could be really awkward. Um, and uh, anyway, that's, that's really helpful. Uh, gosh, that's good. The third tool, I want to keep on schedule. If I can, I'll, I could talk to you all night. Um, third tool for me. So it's, it's feelings, right? It's safe relationships. But the, the third one is really just whatever you want to call it, counseling, 
therapy, like doing the work of, of the soul, like soul work. Maybe we just call that's the tool. Like soul work is a tool. Yep. And you know, it's funny coming from a Christian background, of course, I just thought if you just rebuked it or memorized enough scriptures, um, uh, that, that it would be just awesome. Me too. And, uh, yeah. Until it wasn't. And, and then of course, realizing that the Bible has so much to say about our soul. And, you know, even the idea, if you're listening right now, I think, well, is counseling biblical? I mean, is an appendicitis biblical really? I mean, if it, we're just working on a different organ, uh, in us. And that said, like what, I would suppose someone listening right now, we have people that have, that have done lots of work, people that maybe dip their toe in it. And then somebody, maybe it's like me five years ago, seven, however many years ago, where I don't even know where to start. Like, I don't know who to call. I'm Googling stuff. Like, I don't know if you guys know this. It's hard to find you. Like if you're like, someone like on the outside, it's not like if I, whatever I've got, I've cut my arm. I go to the ER to get stitches. I kind of know the rules. Yeah. But you guys are kind of like a, you know, how do you find it? Where do we go? Like, is it possible to answer that in one sitting? Yeah, I want to, I want to double back on something to get to that, actually. Um, One thing that counseling therapy does is therapy reminds me of my humanness and takes me back to my humanness. Like, I'm really needy. And I want to kind of bridge between the small group thing and what you're asking about with therapy, too. Um, you know, what we're really searching for in a small group setting for people to be safe is a thing called humility. And, uh, you know, humility is a thing like, man, I'm going to try really hard to be humble, which is so prideful to say. <laughs> so it immediately works against it. But humility is, a, if people can remember three words, humility comes really in three phases. The first phase is to be conscious of other people. And so getting back together in small groups is going to be, okay, I need to be re, re-reminded to be conscious, there are other people in this space with me now, literally and emotionally. Mm. And from the consciousness of that comes a thing called a conscience. Like I have a conscience, I don't want to cause harm. And that creates the ability for me to have a thing called empathy, to walk in someone else's shoes. Mm. And so that, and, and that, the, that skill or that way of living can be lost because we're competitive and we're scared and full of anxiety or rage or other things. It's like it's lost. And so, how do I be reminded of that? So the two prong question, one is ther- therapy. What therapy does is it allows you the, to honor your own life um, and honor your own neediness to go sit with somebody uh, who's given their life to helping a person find their own consciousness of self, the self that God made, develop that conscience to say, how have I caused harm coming from my story? And then I, if I can have empathy for the story I come from, this creation of God here, I can have empathy out here too. Mm. So the process of therapy, it seems like it's self-serving or selfish. It is self-centered in terms of the self God made us to be, not the ego. Sometimes we use the word self and we really mean ego. Mm. So I get out of my ego to get myself that God created back to be conscious of other people, have a conscience about being with them and have empathy for their condition too. Mm. And so therapy is the process of doing that coming out of your own story. And um, you know, this sounds like a, a, a really kind of maybe weird answer, but if you know you Darren or you folks listening, if you know people that are reputable, 
uh, who read certain materials. I, you know, I love the work of Dan Allender, for example. I love the work of a guy named Adam Young up in Fort Collins, Colorado. Yeah, he's good. Uh, Adam's super. And, uh, and I know about Sage Hill. They're pretty good, you know. So, you know, looking at what are things that have fed me on a practical note, if I find a blog that I love, and I send an email to the, the person that does that blog and say, do you know anyone in my area or who do you recommend or who has helped you along the way? And, you know, it's okay to kind of, this is a phrase that's now old. Not, my 24 year old would roll his eyes when I said this, but, you know, kind of looking among your own tribe. Yeah. Uh, see, you know, who, who has helped you, who has informed your life and your recovery and your, your recovery of self. The thing that I guess that I wanted to uh, get across, and by the way, that's how I found Sage Hill, by the way, Brad Duncan, friend that I knew and I loved and respected, recommended. Um, and I guess what people right now are making plans after the whatever lifts. So, you know, somebody, maybe they're trying to get a soldier's a shoulder surgery. They're going to finally get it done. Somebody probably wants to go shopping, go to the beach. What I would just really suggest is what's what's happened a lot in, in this season is that things that were already inside of us are being squeezed out. And so we kind of have a little bit of a reality of like, okay, this is really not, like it's not working for me. If I'm sitting in a parking lot of a grocery store having a panic attack, I can finally maybe say, this isn't actually working very well. Yeah. My point would be, if you're going to prioritize the beach, prioritize a shoulder surgery, your soul is worth it to prioritize that. So coming out of this in May, um, there's just a, I, I learned that I had to fight for it. Nobody was going to do it. Nobody was going to come for me. There was a moment where I had to, am I worth it? Is, is God, you know, is, is this a gift that God wants to bring in my life that I'm worth the fight for? And, you know, I, I've talked to several people, um, over the years. And it's funny because I've been through, it's all suggested to somebody and you would think I'm asking him to go have like a tooth extracted without Novocaine. Yeah. Uh, like they, in fact, that actually feels like a better idea. Like I'd rather claw my own eyes out than yes. sit in a room. Um, yes. In fact, my, when, when, uh, when Brad Duncan said, Hey, do you want to, whatever the sage shell thing I was like, what are we getting? And I swear, this is what I said. What we like is sitting in a circle and cry. Is that the whole thing? And Aaron, you, you said that to all of us, not just Duncan. Well, I was in the room. <laughs> Sorry. It was very traumatizing. Um, but it was a gift because by the end of that week, looking at the floor, I, it might have been you. I can't remind you or Schultz. I don't remember. But they're like, you know, the feelings that you, you, every, you know, every day you have said every feeling but one. And, and I didn't even know which one I had not said. But the point being that it's the one that you, the reason you don't, know it is because you're so used to it that you don't even know it anymore. And it's, it was lonely. Yeah. Which for me was like, are you freaking kidding me? I'm surrounded by people. Like I, I have no more time for any more people. And it was a, the point being that whole week, if I just walked away with that one gift, it was a gift that I would have never gotten if I wouldn't have taken the time and the effort for it. Yeah. So my, for those that are here and that are going to listen to it later on the podcast, follow Phil's advice as far as finding somebody, but yeah, I mean, I, if I, I don't make a dime off of this, but Sage Hill has been great for myself, for my family. Uh, and Phil, we'll, we'll put your information in there as well. So if they want to reach out that way. Right. The, the, the fourth tool um, in this, it's funny because we were just talking about facts, truth versus accuracy, whatever, you know, facts versus accuracy. 
but there's something about just being able to say, okay, this is actually what's true. Um, and and, and the, the tool I would say would be like an inventory of, of truth. In the, in the Christian world, it's almost the opposite of that, which is, uh, well, we don't have to be afraid of any of this. We don't have to, you know, God's going to, Jesus is my healer. Things that are true biblically, yeah. but they're not really using it for biblical. It's a, a numbing of this pain so that I could ignore the reality that's in front of me. And, you know, the Bible does say whatever things are lovely, whatever things are a good report. So, again, my background would say if it's not positive, if it's not exciting, then we don't want to think about it. But he also says whatever things are true. You know, think on these things. Um, so the inventory of truth in our lives, like we talked about a little bit, that what's happening with the moms and, and with school, that this is true. We're losing the senior year for kids. Like, can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, you know, there's a such such a fundamental. Uh, I had a professor in grad school who said to me, "Phil, where you're going to mess up is you're going to forget the fundamentals." You know. Like, so this, your question, this, this territory we're talking about, this is so fundamental, but so easy to forget. Um, and one is just name specifically what the loss is. Hmm. Um, you know, some people will say, you know, for, for me, what I look forward to in graduation, I, I, I was in my fourth high school by my senior year. And my graduation was all about finishing the endurance contest of the four years of terror of not knowing anybody the first of the year. And like, so my graduation ceremony was literally like, I remember sitting there as an 18 year old kid on a a football field uh, about to walk up and get my high school diploma. I remember thinking, I'm so glad that I'm doing this in a ceremony because I I did, I did it four different States, four years. And uh, so, and for other kids, it'll be, you know, they need the ritual of saying goodbye to kids they've been in school with since kindergarten. And, uh, you know, and some lose a sports season or, or band. And so whatever the thing is, and even the things around, around the ceremonies, like to name as specifically as possible what it named the loss and what is, and what is um, sad to you about losing this, whatever it may be. I don't get to go to the prom. What's sad to you about not going to the prom? All the pageantry and the photographs. I want to be able to look at that. I want to show my children my prom pictures. I mean, who knows what people are going to say, but uh, it's so important as we engage our children and each other uh, adults in this, that we're allowing the room, uh, allowing room for people to name specifically what the loss is. Hmm. Like, you know, even, even and in the pandemic, like what specifically, you know, my, my wife is an accountant and She's an introvert, and so she's not grieving, not being out and about every single day with a, with a thousand people around. Mm. And extroverts are grieving like crazy over that. Yeah. You know, and so people have, again, back to that unique experience. It's just so important as we're grieving and inventorying these things, we're just, we're just talking about, even if it seems embarrassing or trivial, we talk about the things that our shame tells us is trivial, but we talk about them anyway because they matter. Yeah, so that's interesting because one of the things I've actually heard multiple times, because you mentioned that around shame, is I shouldn't even complain because at least I have a job or I shouldn't even complain because at least I have a house. And there's almost like a, um, I'm not allowed to even admit the truth because I feel shame because I have it better. I'm comparing my tragedy to someone else's. You know, and Darren, when, when we say that, it, it's such a, an egotistical statement because what we're saying is 
um, I get to decide my value to God. Wow. Uh, you know, it's like God, uh, uh, I had a, a friend that said to me, because I, I was saying my son was a baseball player through high school and he was in a bad slump. And, you know, and I was saying to this friend of mine, like, well, you know, it's only a game. Like, I don't know that God's really invested in a single high school baseball player, uh, you know, striking out too much or whatever. And my friend said to me, he said, well, well wait a minute. He said, my son's name is Luke. He said, is, is baseball important to Luke? I said, oh, kid loves the game. Is Luke important to God? Yes. Then I think probably Luke in his baseball is probably important to God. And so Luke has a right to grieve a batting slump. Is he starving to death in a third world country? No, he is not. He is in a batting slump. <laughs> and so, you know, it's like, yeah, comparatively in terms of human comparison, but we're making a human, we're, we're putting a human template on God to suggest that God cares more about some things than he does others. God cares. God is love. And so he's given us each a course. He has said, you're going to have your feelings about your course. And sometimes it's going to be striking out. And sometimes it'll be losing your job. And I love you the same. And I give you the same freedom to grieve your losses, no matter what they are. I'm not ranking those. You can, but I'm not. That's actually really helpful even for me because I feel uh, it, it, I, there are so many pastors that are uh, different situations and different. And so I've even felt like, golly, I'm really just super grateful. But, you know, but I've, I'm afraid to admit that, you know, how bad this is and how scary it is for me because, I mean, we've got a building. We don't have a giant mortgage hanging over our head. We don't have all these things as others do. And so I feel kind of that guilt. I've never categorize it that way before though, where I'm actually, because I'm doing that, that I'm assigning my worth to God. It's just quite arrogant when you think about it. Huh. It really is. And it, it seems not that way and seems nice. And because once again, here are the facts. A, a, a high school kid in a, in a country or this one for that matter, starving, uh, that is a worse human condition than a kid at Seagull High School striking out more than he wants to strike out. Factually, absolutely. And somehow or another in the economy of God, God loves this child, high school kid over here in this condition, and he loves my kid who's striking out a lot. Hmm. And, and it's the same to him because he created both of them. Yeah. He grieves over starvation and he grieves over, he, you know, God, God loves us and gives us individual experiences. And uh, I've had the same thought. Like my wife said to me the other day, she said, you're one of the few people, your life has changed almost zero. <laughs> At the same time, do the same thing. You're around people all the time. Like, it's the weirdest thing. Uh, and I've had the thought, like, I've got job and steady income. And my big change is, you know, I'm seeing people virtually like this in one part of my work. And I was sitting in my office the other day, and, and the internet went down. And I'm like, man, I got the worst life in the world. Are you kidding me? My internet went down. <laughs> and they go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. So, you know, it goes both ways. I can become, become yeah. so full of self-pity, frozen grief that I don't move into the true grief. I experience self-pity and believe myself to be so much worse than everybody else. So it goes both ways. And that's a good point, right? Because that's, if it's truth, it's truth, right? Which means it's not worse than it is, but it's also not better than it is. Um, someone told me once that humility, uh, the biblical definition of humility is you, you just believe the truth about yourself. Amen. Um, which it's funny, it sounds so simple, but then I'm like, well, what is true about me? But 
when it comes to it's Romans 12, you know, two, three or four, whatever, think not more highly of yourself than you ought, which also means don't think more lowly of yourself than you ought just to look in the mirror and see the same person that Jesus sees. Um, so the last one on the toolkit here, um, it's, it's almost like AA language. Oh, it's because it is, uh, which is just admit that I'm powerless, right? I, I submitting it, it uh, conduit, we call it submitting to the chaos. Um, and that comes from when we go to a, a foreign country and uh, the traffic is bad or whatever. One of the things I'll, the, the one piece of advice I give everybody is submit to the chaos. What I mean by that is every time I say, well, I don't know why they don't just, you know, stop at stoplights. I don't know why they don't just have better, you know, bed sheets or why they don't. That's bucking against chaos and it's exhausting. Uh, and it's what it really is, is me wanting control of something I have literally no control over. Yes. And so, you know, whether you call it, you know, admitting you're powerless, whatever, like, that's the language that we've been using is just submit to the chaos. Uh, Bible in Romans 12 says, uh, verse 12, is it just means being patient in affliction would be the biblical language around it. But that's, that's a tool in the kit for me that's been really helpful because I find myself this whole time like, man, I wish they would just, why do they keep lying about that? And what does that look like for in, in, in an emotional well-being uh, situation? Yeah, that, you know, I find I've been in recovery a long time, Darren, as you know, and I find amazingly biblical principles, what you just said, you know, uh, we, we admit classic first step, admit I'm powerless over fill in the blank. Uh I'm powerless over, I love your work chaos. And my life has become unmanageable, which is the implication is I've done everything I can to control my life. Uh, It's a wreck. I I didn't do well. nothing is more biblical than admission (laughs) that's as biblical as it gets you know blessed are the poor the first public words out of jesus's mouth according to matthew the way matthew organizes it in teaching blessed are the poor in spirit destitute uh blessed are those you know they 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 know they cannot make it on their own and so we you know with a mission admission uh and then the second step comes right after that i have i came to believe that's what we call sanctification I came to believe that uh, a power, God, I came to believe that God could restore me to sanity, that God is the storehouse where I can be whole again, which is what sanity means, sanus, whole. So I came to believe that through sanctification, through feeling feelings, telling the truth, surrendering the outcome to God, uh, then, you know, letting go and saying, I, this is too big for me. Tommy Lee Jones said in no country for old men and I, Hey, this thing's ain't got too big for me. <laughs> you know? I remember that. That was great. So, you know, surrender the chaos is like, I admit that I'm powerless over this chaos. I'm powerless over this pandemic. I'm powerless over losing my job. My boss has that power. I don't have it. And so then I come to believe that God can restore me to my sanity yeah. and often does that through the body. And then I made a decision and the decision comes through uh, pouring through the cheesecloth of what you said a while ago, what is pure, what is uh, true, what is praiseworthy, what is all those things that, that Philippians Paul talks about. That's the cheesecloth we're pouring this choice through. So like I made a decision to turn the care of my heart over to him. So we feel our feelings in the terms of making the admission we tell the truth about it when we ask for restoration to wholeness and we surrender the outcome to him in the third step of turning it over to him. 
Yeah, which is uh, to me has been something I need to do probably 20 times a day. Um, uh, Henry Cloud, uh, somebody, actually Steve Moore, I think is uh, listening tonight, had forwarded me an email from Henry Cloud. And one of the things he was suggesting was to just sit down and literally make a list of the things that I can control and then make a list of the things that I cannot control. And then literally just how much time am I spending on this list of the things I cannot control, which for me was a little embarrassing, you know, I'm almost 50 years old. And as a pastor, I'm focusing like 99% of my time yeah. on stuff I have no control over. Oh yeah. Uh, yes. But that was for me, I guess, cause it was like, you know, when I say submit to the chaos, it was kind of that, like I can't control any of this stuff. So here's the things I can, and then give the rest of it to the, to the Lord. Yes. And, and trust in his sovereignty or I don't trust in it. Yes. And, you know, Darren, we, we operate everywhere we go. We're in an environment and most environments, the most common feature of any environment is a thing called people. And so what I spend most of my time trying to control are people. And so that gets back to our conversation earlier about small groups. I'm reengaging. Like if I can work a first step or surrender to the chaos of being with people again, that's a huge step for being able to be safe with one another. That's really good. I've got, um, let's see, we've got just over 50, actually 10 minutes. I'm gonna give you a couple of the questions that have come in while we were here. Yeah. One of them is actually uh, from Stephen. And he's saying, what can we do to deal with our loss of connection and have deeper connection after this season of crisis? Yeah, beautiful question. So. He mentioned the, the word himself, loneliness. Uh, and loneliness, we talked about feelings earlier, Darren. And, and, and Voice of the Heart readers, condu- conduits will know this very well. That, you know, loneliness is our, our signal that we're, we need and desire a relationship and we're made for it. Mm. And so there's a, a gift connected to, lo- to, to doing loneliness well, uh, and it's called intimacy. And so if you work backward, to Stephen's question, if you work backward, um, the way to do that is be intimate with one another. Tell the truth about where you've been while you've been absent from one another. Hey, guys, I have been utterly obsessed over financial insecurity, or I have been cr- a crazy man afraid I'm going to get the virus, or mm. I've been pulling my hair out because my aunt or my uncle is a nursing home and I can't get to them. So so the, the way to do it, work backward on that equation, start with sitting in that room with other people. And I want to engage on an into me see level. I want you to see into me and allow me to see into you as we re-engage with it. Let's talk really like name what this time has been like. Hmm. Amanda um, Rogers uh, says, I recovered from COVID. She's great, by the way. Her and her husband, Jeremy, they're awesome. I recovered from COVID last month, and I'm struggling with the balance of continuing to process what I experienced and still am emotionally healing from, and how to carry on when Tennessee opens up soon and everyone else continues on with life. It's a weird club to be in. Yeah, no kidding. So there's, it's a statement, but there's a question in that. Yeah. So help help me with it, uh, Darren. Like as Amanda saying, how do I how do I get back out into society? Being in, in recovery from this, it's, it's it's yeah. So for her, it's like in re- recovering from this disease, knowing what it was like. And she had a really strong. It was a, 
a hard battle with her. She did, she wasn't hospitalized, but it was bad. Like, it's not like any, nobody wants to sign up for that rodeo. And so the world is moving on and, but she kind of has experienced that. And so, yeah, I think the question is how do I, I'm in this club that only I only understand, or at least the people in my immediate world are only going to understand. And how do I, how do I navigate that? Yeah, she's going to need uh, really godly, truth-telling women in her life uh, who can give her this, we talked about safety earlier, who can give her this gift of safety and, mm. and allow her to go very slowly back into the world so she doesn't harm herself physically, pushing herself too far, but doesn't isolate either. Or she starts small, takes small steps that she can take with safe people start doing safer things hmm. uh, as she works her way to kind of that re-entry thing. When we send guys out of treatment, we send them home for two or three days at a time, depending on where they live, bring them back into treatment, process how all of that went, get them back again so they can incrementally rejoin. So Amanda's in that almost like that. She's been in isolative treatment, so to speak, and now she's re-entering her world. And so it would be a great idea to do that incrementally and gradually with safe people walking her through it. Which is, uh, is there, is this, is there a way you even can answer this question? But how do you navigate the world and trying to find the safe people? Like, it's not an easy, it's not like you just go to the store and buy a couple of them. Right. You know, like I'll go pick out a couple when the stores are open again. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, you know, as funny as it sounds, uh, the, the best way to know if a person is safe or not, know their story. Uh, Chip used to say all the time, used to say, I do not trust a man that cannot tell me his story and the feelings he has in it. Hmm. Uh, and so one way to, to know, number one, you can't know on the front end. And second, as you get to know someone's story is a, it, it is enormous. Like where we come from is an enormous molder of what we do today. Hmm. So if we can save people of the people I can sit with across the table from, and know them intimately because I know where they come from. That that's me and you. Yeah. That's me and Jeff. That's me and Chip. That's me and a lot of people. You and a lot of people. Where uh, I don't have to do it just perfectly to do the feelings perfectly. But if I can bring my story to someone and they handle that story well, and I handle their story well, it increases intimacy. My loneliness goes down. My intimacy increases. And I see over time, listening to healthy fear, I see over time who I can trust and who I can't. Hmm. It's good. Uh, and I would, you know, I think you need to add anything to what you would say wisdom-wise, but, but if it doesn't work the first time, keep trying. Like, that. I know that the, the instinct is, well, I laid it out and I got hurt and I'm never going to do that again. You know, one of the things that I learned was just to keep hoping and to keep reaching and to keep, okay, so that really hurt, but I'm going to keep trying. Um, and, and, to know, and to know going in, Darren, like, you know what? I'm going to be hurt. If you don't want to be hurt, don't ever get married. Don't ever have children. Don't ever have a friend. <laughs> Those three things hurt you. Yeah. And you can go through your whole life and never be hurt and die lonely uh, and alone. Amy uh, Elliott, uh, who's in Bend, Oregon, which is where I kind of wish we were right now, if I'm being honest. Mm -hmm. uh, she's in a small group setting. Is there a way to effectively comfort others? After naming all of the pain and the losses, what is the most sensitive way to respond? I don't want to gloss over or rush over what has been said and hard, but do we leave those conversations there? 
Yeah. Um, you know, again, a lot of that's going to depend on context, but overall, that's a really, that's a really very sensitive as in awesome question or loving yeah, question. That's Amy. She's smart. You know, you, you, you don't want to slap the bandaid on it and go, Hey, thanks for sharing and run off. But you also <laughs> Good run luck off. with all that. Yeah. 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 You know, so you don't want to rub it till it bleeds either. So, um, you know, what, what you, what she's talking about is, I think is how to, contain a story. There's a thing called uh, uh, a thing that children need actually called containment. And what it means is, can I contain the hurt and harms done to someone else as they share it with me? Hmm. And she's talking about containing well. And well, a good way to do that is to listen, of course, and conscious con conscience and empathy. As I'm showing empathy for them and their human condition, I add, again, back to fundamentals. Uh, hey, um, do you, is there anything else you need around this from me? Do we, do you need more conversation? Uh, shoot you a text, like, you know, real fundamental things about how to care for people. Well, once we've debriefed old school trauma therapists say, when someone has post-traumatic stress debrief, which brings on catharsis, emotional expression and cognitive restructuring, which means providing comfort. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, honestly, just that one question, you, it's, you called it fundamental, but it's like the one that I probably botched the most, but when I do it, it's like, oh, I really, that was good. It's like a good golf swing. I knocked that one out of the park. And it's just a simple question. What do you need from me right now? Yeah. What, what do you need from me? It's, it's such a simple question, but, you know, other than that, I'm like playing like, you know, emotional pinata. I'm swinging, hoping I hit something. And I never you know, get the right thing. And, and it's it's funny to me, I guess, for because my life, uh, I, I tend to overcomplicate almost everything. And to know that, to remind myself that it's just this simple thing like that that could actually allow for that conversation to continue and to be safe and them to feel safe. Mm -hmm. We have one last question uh, from a guy named Martin Tiemann, Marty Tiemann. Uh, practical ways for folks to move from fear to wisdom. Great. Wow. What a good question. Right. Is, uh, is, is he a conduit guy? It's, it's Mo. <laughs> His real name is Martin, but he Mo's goes, name is Martin. I know. Right. He's not even here to give crap to right now. Maybe he's still in there. Yeah, he's in there. <laughs> wow. Okay. You know, I'm going to call him Martin. Uh, oh, please. His wife does. It's very I'm, endearing. I'm absolutely doing that. So moving from, from uh, fear to wisdom, uh, well, here's what fear does. Um, and I'll, I'll answer that in, in context of a thing called faith. Great ending question. Um, fear is the thing that lets us know we could be in danger and wisdom is what we're after. So discernment asks a lot of questions. Like I get to a discerning place. I ask a lot of questions about everything from information. What do people say the smartest ways to do this are? I'm going to get conflicting information with that. Talking to trusted people, um, and I'm gonna, I want to give a, I want to give a Martin Mo um, uh, some uh, uh, a thing here. So it begins with getting to wisdom. Begins with risk. Do I take a risk to ask? Do I take a risk to step out further out of my comfort zone, out of the boat, as Ortberg wrote? I get out of the boat, and then then it becomes risk plus memory. I step out. I get accepted, my friend Darren, my friend Mo, my friend whoever, 
uh, I step out of there and it becomes memory. And then risk plus memory becomes certainty. Not certainty like every single time this works out, but I have a certainty that says I can, I can take a risk and I can have memory of when people met me in my fear. Uh, and I can continue seeking wisdom from people who give me wisdom because along with wisdom comes the gift of faith as well. Hmm. So faith ends up being risk and then risk plus memory and risk and memory become certainty. Like I know, I know that this is true. Not every single rep has turned out like I wanted it to, but across time, as I've sought to be wise in my fear, I've gotten this gift of faith, which, you know, Hebrews 11, one, um, substance of things hoped for. That's a picture of passion, pain. It's painful. I hope for this. It's painful. Evidence of thing not, things not seen is a thing called vision. So I take risk and I have a memory of taking the risk and being met by people who love me. I have this certainty called faith that says I can live with passion and vision, live in the pain of waiting and the vision of what I can see and feel that's ahead of me with pe people that are with me. That's really good, Phil. That's a good thing to, to land on. Um, I will drop a, uh, in the content, I'll drop the five tools so that you can be reminded of them. We'll have this posted later as well. Um, and to end with, you know, uh, it's funny, in the few years I've been doing this, in fact, we've had a couple of people leave the church over it because they thought I was getting too therapy-ish or whatever, which, I mean, it's fine. I didn't, you know, it is, it is what it is. But the idea that feelings um, or tool is, is a huge gift for, for me and for, for everyone. The, the normal obstacle that I hear from people is, or the objection is, well, you can't go by how you feel. And, and what they're saying is it's about truth. Like, I feel this is true, or I feel this isn't true. So they're, they're sort of conflating yeah. two things together. So most times when someone says, well, I don't feel like this is true, what they're really saying is, I don't like that that's true, and it makes me angry. Yes. Um, or I, I like what that is, and it makes me glad or whatever. But uh, so it's basically conflating two separate things, uh, which isn't helpful at all. That's not what we're talking about, whether something feels like it's true or not. This is about, I feel angry about this or angry around this, or I feel sadness around this. That's just a, a helpful language that I've been given and it's been a gift. Um, Phil, how can we, I'll put something uh, in, the, in the comments again about how to get a hold of you, but what's the best way to find you uh, online? If someone is saying like right now, I'm really, uh, Sage Hill is actually something that would be really, would make a lot of sense for me. What would be the first step they would take? You can, you can email me directly, first and last name, at sagehillcounseling.com. And, and it, does, it can just come to me. It doesn't, I, I can get you to someone who fits what you're looking for on right. our team. Uh, and then uh, our website is sagehillcounseling.com. And uh, if you live in the Nashville area uh, or Williamson County area near where y'all are, there's a Brentwood location and a Franklin uh, Nashville location. And then we're located here in Murfreesboro. So... There's a, a, a literal menu on there where we are. So we'll put that in the comments as well. Phil, thank you. And please thank, uh, thank your wife for letting us borrow you for an evening. She's sitting right there. I'll tell her. Oh, she just did. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Darren, I love you. Thank you so much. Love you guys. See you soon.